Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer value and all of the things it takes to produce and deliver superior customer value. Today, I am proud to welcome Sue Bingham. Sue has a history as an HR consultant. She builds, helps her clients build high-performance workplaces. I love what she does with her clients, but we also have this shared passion for imagining the future of work. And with all that COVID has done with and to the, the workplace, uh, I couldn't imagine a better guest to, to talk about that with, with on the Value Clarity Podcast. So Sue, welcome. Thank you. Sue, why don't you start out with a little bit of history, who you are, what you do, and, and how you help your clients today. Um, well, for <clears throat> I've worked in corporations and been on my own with a small group of people for the last 17 years. And what we do is help our help management and senior executives create a workplace where people really want to come and work, where they enjoy it, where they feel fulfilled. I know that sounds idealistic. We've been doing it for 35 years and, and been successful with small and even large organizations in doing so. What's interesting about it is that people uh, in the past, 35 years or so ago, when we first started out doing a lot of this, uh, it was really non-traditional. A lot of the things we talked about were common sense, but we went to apply them to how organizations are really run and managers actually manage. It was very, very different from the command and control style. So we were sort of leading edge back then and, and viewed as a little risky. Uh, to, to try to do some of the things we wanted to do. But now, I think it's changed. Yeah, you told a story once of uh, a big defense contractor and the kind of environment and the kind of work rules where you came in and what you changed. Uh, tell that story because I think that really helps people understand a little bit more about what you do feels like uh, inside a company. Great. Well, thank you. I. Um, I went from working uh, for a, a division of Abbott Laboratories, which is a very well-managed professional company, to an aerospace subcontractor in San Diego. And that organization had 7,500 employees on site. It was the corporate headquarters, and they also had a very large union. And as soon as I got there, I realized it was very different. But it would not be unusual for me to walk through the plant and hear managers yelling at supervisors in front of their teams, sometimes directors yelling at managers and supervisors turned around and were abusive to the employees. It was a really toxic environment, very unsophisticated. And there was a huge HR department, but what we were supposed to do was really police that the policies were being followed. And a lot of these policies were ridiculous. They they weren't geared toward responsible adults. They were geared toward the 5% that's a bad apple that they're trying to get rid of, but, but haven't got and aren't able to get rid of anyway. So it just was such a terrible experience for me. Uh, as, an, as an HR person, it was my job to do all the disciplinary meetings because um, we didn't trust our managers or supervisors to have those kinds of conversations. So I would be looking at someone I just met uh, maybe someone is old enough to be my dad, and I'm giving them a verbal warning or a written warning or letting them know they're being suspended. 
Um, and oftentimes this was just something that was just a miscommunication. It was, it, it, it was no big deal and it was uh, just a terrible feeling. In addition to that, there was an executive dining room. Uh, the, I had an example where the executive dining room was being refurbished. Um, so the executives horror of horrors had to eat in the cafeteria with the rest of us, but they didn't want to eat with us. So they put up dividers that, you know, don't go to the top of the ceiling, but just dividers. And so as we're standing in line with our trays and our paper plates and our hot dogs, we could hear the tinkle of crystal and the waitresses in hushed voices asking the executives what they wanted to have. And we could smell steak and we could smell those other things. And I can tell you that the feeling in that very large cafeteria where hundreds of people were seating with that divider, it, it, it's, if you could capture that moment, it's everything a company does wrong. Yeah. And, you know, we, we think of, you know, the ping pong tables and, and <laughs> pet daycare as the, as the domain of internet companies that are trying to hire the world's most, you know, the highest skilled uh, software engineers in the world that they're um, competing for. But it's no longer the fact that only th that those companies are the only ones competing for the great employees. And here you walk into this place where th they're competing to find who is the strongest survivor, <laughs> who, <Yeah>. had, who, <laughs> who, had, who was the most desperate, who had the strongest will to live. <laughs> I would describe, uh, in fact, most management folks and employees that I see today when we walk in often, if it's a real traditionally run company, um, they're, they're survivors. They've got a survival mode, but there are many that still have that command and control approach and they have an abundance of what I would charitably call stupid policies um, <laughs> that we're supposed to apply to adults um, who managed to run the rest of their life just fine. Yeah, um, it's, um, I call that management style early industrial revolution gothic. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I like the gothic. <laughs> and but um, it's so accepted. So flip the switch, and what are you doing instead? Okay, what we do instead, uh, we've had it described as uh, common sense. <laughs> this is uh, I I I made a living off of it, so it 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 must be valuable. Uh, but common sense is we, we essentially say that no matter the generation, no matter the background and so on, people all want the same things. Everybody knows that. They want to be paid fairly. They want to be valued. They want to be recognized. They want to believe they belong. And most people, especially high performing people, want to be challenged. Um, that's where their motivation comes from, is from challenge. So what we do is have a, a, a philosophy that, that we've also turned into pretty much of an operating system so that it's, it can be implemented. Um, it's one thing to talk about words like trust and respect. It's another to demonstrate it. It's another to have it be part of your philosophy. Probably one of the most significant things we would tell you about trust is that in a high performance workplace where, where we're doing the cultural transformation, 
Um, if someone lies or someone violates trust, that's pretty much they're gone because there's no such thing as a little lie or betraying my trust just a little bit. Trust is such a, a strong thing that they can leave everything unlocked. You know, there's, there's no such thing as locked drawers and locked storage cribs and things like that. Things are open and left out and they can do that because everybody understands the importance of trust. Um, so that's one example. Trust also man, uh, manifests itself in that um, anybody that's traditionally hourly paid is paid by salary. So they get 40 hours a week um, and then over time, if they're non-exempt, um, they have keys that open every door to the building. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a totally different feeling. So when you've gotten a client to implement this operating system, there's, there's actually something that drops to the bottom line. It, tell us about that. Well, first of all, it's every metric. Um, every metric. Um, it's not unusual for turnover to be less than 2%. In, in a company like this. Absenteeism, despite the fact that casual absence is, is usually paid, is 1.5%. Um, you know, I know companies where their absenteeism rates much, much higher than that. Um, when it comes to efficiencies, the team continually raises the bar and continually improves efficiencies. Um, they're responsible for safety. It's not unusual for there to be no lost time accident for five or six years. Uh, it's a, um, in terms of security, the company doesn't have to build a big gate and a gatehouse and so on. Every employee that works within that facility views that as their company, their facility, and they watch out for it and they guard it. Um, so from a safety, from a efficiency, from a production, from a turnover, a retention issue, every metric, is is improved and really the one company i'm thinking of right now didn't the the chairman wasn't particularly interested in you know let's have everybody hold hands and sing songs together he he wasn't looking for that kind of a culture he was looking to make money and he absolutely funded and supported and assured that this was going to be the culture he had because it made him money then he started opening up other companies with this philosophy, and immediately they were performing. Isn't that wild? So it doing doing good helps you do well. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, it's again, common sense. It's yeah. it's <laughs> and and this is for all of your employees. And, and, you know, we all love to whine about millennials and younger generation. And uh, I heard somebody who said, and I'd love to have you comment, um, that everybody wants their job to mean something. Everybody wants their career to be meaningful and fulfilling. Um, kids just, they have the gall to insist on it. They do. Yeah, they, they expect it. That's, that's, and as the competition for talent, and we talk about moving into the future, the competition for talent. And when I say talent, I'm including production jobs in factories because you're looking for really good people that are problem solvers and creative. And those jobs are even harder to fill um, just because, you know, people seem to think of manufacturing as um, some dirty operation where you punch a time clock and leave. And, and in fact, those are the kinds of environments I have seen. 
Yeah. But I've seen high performance workplaces where you can't even tell a shift has ended because people are talking to each other and wandering in and out. Uh, and I once interviewed uh, five, and by the way, in a high performance workplace, um, the, the, uh, a group of employees, five or six employees, will do a group interview with candidates for new jobs, and they have the final decision on whether or not that person gets hired. No management, no management's involved. Because who has a more vested interest in the person they're going to be working beside? Yeah. And they, they get tired of training revolving doors and with the revolving doors. So it is, it's really exciting to see. Um, that's one of the things every time we have implemented this approach uh, with the peer hiring teams, uh, they it, turnover cuts by 50% within the first two months. It's crazy. And uh, turnover is this huge hidden cost. Um, it's hard to find it on the balance sheet, All right? There's not a separate line item, but you sure see the result. Yeah, I once used, a, I put together this really complicated uh, spreadsheet about costs. And I, I had the opportunity to work with the CEO, COO, and CFO of a very large, a multi-billion dollar company. But I, I gave them all this for fun. And I said, tell me what the cost of turnover is from, from your perspectives and go through this worksheet. And the, you know, they're great guys. They're, they were having fun. They weren't telling each other. There was sort of a competition to see who got closest. They all came within a, $1,000 or so of each other and were shocked to see how much it was. Even though they knew inherently, you know, there's a large cost of turnover, when they actually ran the numbers and the numbers were close enough that all three seemed to see it the same way, um, they were shocked at how much the cost of turnover was. Um, man, I, I would love to tell that story because when, when I'm talking with salespeople, uh, selling something like a solution that lowers employee turnover, I insist that salespeople walk the managers through quantifying it themselves because a 5% reduction in turnover before you quantify it is good. That exact same 5% reduction in turnover once you calculate it out is huge. You just told an example of how to quantify the value and how important that is in helping people understand what they're really getting you know what? I, that really fits with what you do. I, yeah. I just realized that that fits so much with it, the value getting in their heads and how do you get how do you how do you get their perceived value? Yeah, I had to slip my stuff in there. Sorry. No, uh, no, I'm glad <laughs> that, made, that made so much sense. Yep. So, so, much sense. so I wanted to have you here not only to tell you know what you do, but let's talk about the future of work. And we've kind of hinted at how work is going to change, but um, with COVID and with all of the remote work and with having to trust remote workers to get the job done, if you take that command and control punishment-based philosophy, that doesn't translate well to remote work where this trust-based thing does. And um, as technology tools get better, tell us, you know, your vision of how the workplace 
has to has to change is changing and needs to change further and and what has to change in order to make some of those greatest eventualities happen well most uh, companies are going to have to change i mean they've already had to change due to accepting remote work i've i've heard um I've had companies that that really embraced the concept of the high performance workplace, but yet when I talked about remote work, they'd say, eh, you know, I, th I think they have to earn that as a privilege. And I'm saying, it's not a privilege, it's a place where they work. Um, it's, a, it's a mindset that has been there for too long and, and COVID blew it up. So that's the really good thing. Um, it, that's really moved us further ahead. It would have taken probably another six or seven years to sort of evolve there to that level. But companies are gonna have to change because technology is changing so fast, the marketplace is changing so fast, everything's so fast that I'm back, I'm old enough to be back in the day when, when you preach do it right the first time. You know, it was Deming and it was make sure it was perfect, do it the right the first time because you don't wanna rework. Now it's, now it's experiment. Now it's fail faster. Now it's use the collective intelligence of the people that you have. And, and the companies that figure out how to do that and do that really well are gonna be more agile, further ahead and so on. And now's the time to begin preparing for that. And what that looks like to me is, um, let me give you an example, where you've got silos. Um, in companies, many companies have silos uh, based on the function that they're performing. That's going to transform more into a customer-focused organization that's, that's structured around the customer where you might have three or four or five disciplines working together as a team to support the customer versus having that stereotypical manager at the top of the technical area. Um, so uh, there'll be more, a lot more self-management, um, a lot more self-management, um, and the workplaces that offer that um, will offer such a variety and challenging nature of work that it'll draw and attract the high performers. You know, I have this, I have this vision that is that plus something, right? It is the organization, the, the command and control organization um, before COVID, when they were command and control, when, when that was even uh, you know, mildly appropriate, in business school, I learned that it was senior management's job to sit on top of the organization, look out over the world, see changes happening, strategize what we're gonna do about that environmental change, develop a strategy and deploy it downward through their organization. And that's what we all learned in business school. And that's what H, you know, HR professionals help us do. It, it's one small group having the vision and deploying the change that they see as a step change. And, and I, think, right, I think that's still true. Right, so we, we, we still do it. Um, mm -hmm. But but here's here's my thing, right? We always told ourselves that the only constant was change. The world was changing rapidly and ever more rapidly. And then COVID hit, and the changes got bigger, more dramatic, faster, deeper, more profound. And we aren't going to come out of this as a step change. The world is going to have a series of rolling normals, and I just don't see change getting any less 
any smaller or any slower. So what that means is that the top executive-led change model is becoming harder and harder to fit that ever-changing world. I think, here's Mark Boundy's theory of, of the future, is that the organization of the future is going to have to learn from the edge, learn from the bottom, make decisions from the bottom within guidelines set by, by managers, within a strategy, and that strategy has to be flexible enough so that the millions of decisions, those deployment decisions get made closer to where they enact rather than uh, deploying from the top down. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a, um, you know, one of the things that um, our operating system does is, is it is, it, it prepares an organization for that kind of transition. Um, it's hard to go from, okay, we've got a hierarchical structure and we've got a command and control advice. Okay, now we're going to go to pods and self-managed teams and people are going to be making decisions at, at, at that level. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to zoom over to that. One of the things is you've got to get the mindset right. And that's what we really focus on is somehow we've forgotten that the people that many of the people that are working for us you know, our adults have their own lives, raise children, and that they have so much more to offer. And they, and know, yet, they know more about their job than you and do. And they know more about their job than you do, but yet we don't ask them. And so I think that one of the things that we're really strong about is, um, in fact, I just recently wrote an article about this. Um, we're not talking about empowering because that says giving them power. They should have power. They should have decision-making power. Um, that's where ownership comes in. That's where retention comes in. And I'm, to tell you the truth, I'm, I'm just, there are so many smart people out there that are writing about this and talking about it and training it, people like you, um, that I sometimes wanna just shake the heads of these very smart people we have at the top of these organizations, whether it's a small organization or a large organization and say, come on, wake up, it's happening. And, and every day you procrastinate, every day you don't do something different is a day you're getting behind. Uh, that's a great way to say it. Uh, another thing, that's another sales tip. Um, if you describe it as an opportunity to get to the future, it's, maybe someday it's it's yeah let's go to the next level. Right? but but the other way to describe the exact same thing is if you don't do this your competitors are going to be this much farther ahead of you is that what you want um so it's the exact same thing described a different way as a loss rather than a, as a gain uh, i gotta write that down you always help me with sales <laughs> <laughs> um two two uh economists tversky and kahneman um in were kind of the fathers of behavioral economics. And one of the things they studied about humans and the difference between the way people really decide and the way economics says they decide is that a loss is twice as, weighs twice as much on their mind as a, the exact same gain. And that makes sense. Um, it's, it's, it's a behavioral truism, but the mathematical formulas behind the supply and demand curve assume that they aren't different. So wow. um, 
So an imperfection in the study of economics that uh, those of us in the real world who study decision theory and decision making. Um, so it's just an interesting aside, but you described it perfectly uh, rather than as a gain as avoiding that pain from being behind your competitors. Well, they're already, if you talk to just about anybody right now, the competition for talent, um, for good people uh, and talented people is so high. And just about every, every company I'm in, they'll say, we can't find good people. We can't find good people. And the, first of all, I, I think that's putting themselves in a victim loop. Yes, you can find good people. Um, I live in a little town of Rome, Georgia with a, a company here that, that recruited executives from Chicago to come live in this little small town in Georgia uh, because it was such a wonderful place to work and it had, was so exciting and it was growing. So, <laughs> you know, that's the, they can't oh, find good people. Yeah, It's not that you can't find good people. It's just that you can't attract good people. You can't attract good people. And <laughs> that's a good distinction. And then once you get them, um, you know, it's really interesting. A recent no novel thing that's happening is that there are uh, consulting groups that are, that are helping companies uh, make themselves look attractive and, and in, from a marketing perspective, which I think, okay, well, that's, that's great. I, I get that. If when they get there, it's true. <laughs> it's true. And, and in so many cases, it's not, it's good words, it's stuff on the wall, it might be a banner or two, but you've still got an old policy book, we're still putting people into narrowly described jobs with tasks um, versus responsibility. Wow. Um, yeah. We're not set, we set, if you even think about it, Mark, when we talk about uh, describing performance, we describe it in minimums. You know, what's the minimum I'll ask a group of managers in a training session, how many employees do you have that are just doing the minimum? And everybody will, will acknowledge they have people just doing the minimum. I said, well, raise the minimum. Why are we working with a minimum? Why don't we have a maximum? And then just be encouraging, coaching people to get better every day. But we're, we're happy to accept a minimum. Yeah. And, and then it's that vicious cycle because it's like, well, I can't find good people, so I might as well keep somebody that's doing the minimum. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> that's um, very true. So what a breath of fresh air, Sue. This has been uh, really great. And for those of you who thought that HR was this cost center, um, that, right, that was over... <laughs> It was like leaky overhead. It was a pain in the rear overhead. Uh, what a breath of fresh air to see that it's possible to turn that into a strategic differentiator, to make your company a place people want to work and by making your company more effective, more efficient, more productive. Holy smokes. It's not a either or, it's both. And what a... What a cool way to spend a uh, half an hour talking about it. Thank you, Sue. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So tell people how they can get a hold of you and start talking with you about how to help them develop their high-performance workplaces. Well, high-performance workplace, we, we call it HPWP. Um, so our website is www.hpwpgroup.com. 
I'm Sue at hpwpgroup.com. We have a number of folks who work with us that are, you know, zealots for the philosophy, and we normally do a lot of on-site work and a lot of on-site training, but of course COVID's changed that. Um, so we're living what we're telling others they need to live. We've got to pivot, we've got to figure out what's different, we've got to figure out how do we get the same kind of quality results um, to the, the prospects and the clients that we have, and, and we've been able to do that so far, so that's, that's fun. That's really cool. So Sue, thank you so much. And everybody, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value is all in your customer's mind, which means that your success with your customers, your clients, and your market sits all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a high value day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.